First Church Charlotte. Good to you all week long. I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. You've been so good to me. If I'm not careful, I can take it all for granted, Lord. So I want to stop the rush. And I just want to take a moment. I want to look at Lord. I want to say you've been so good to me. I cannot tell it all. You have blessed me. Every good thing I have comes down from you, Lord Jesus. Uh, you've given me strength. You've washed my sins away. You've promised me eternal life. And you've given me an opportunity to be your representative in the earth. And I want to be worthy of that, Lord Jesus. I want to please you. I want you to see me and have a sense of gladness in your heart. You've made it all possible. Everything that happens in this church, you made it possible, Lord Jesus. And we bless you today in Jesus' name. And let the church say in Jesus' name. Before we go on, put your hands together. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. My title today to kind of organize my thoughts is uh, Father Unknown, Father Unknown. As usual, you will understand better by and by. Our guests, our friends, thank you for joining us today. We're always honored to have you. There is a book entitled The World According to Fathers, and in that there is top 10 dad quotes. Actually, I'm sorry, it, it wasn't a book, it was an article. I just had my notes mixed up here. Uh, the World According to Fathers and the top 10, after surveying a lot of people, most common things your father said to you. Some of these you will guess. Um, I will say the first part and you say the last, okay? Here's the first part. What part of no? Come on with it in this house. Unity of the Spirit. How about this one? This is going to hurt me. What? Why? Because that's what I'm talking about in here. This is a little bit harder. I wasn't asleep. I was just... Shut the door. Were you born in... Mm. I'm not made of... Don't make me stop this. And my favorite, ask your That's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> uh, fatherhood is honorable in our, all regards. Uh, none of, none, I don't know of any fathers who would consider themselves to have been a perfect father. Uh, but we see men who live for their children and prepare their children, invest in their children, and, and we hold it as an honored, an honored place, an honored tradition, uh, something worthy uh, to teach us lessons about God. The most common symbol, role, that we understand uh, of all the roles that teach us of God. You have roles of him as the bridegroom. You have roles of him as the physician, as the shepherd. You understand 
the most common role that we understand, we are exposed to, that God points to and says, this is what you can learn from. The most common is the role of Father. He is our, our Heavenly Father. There is a certain emphasis in the history of the Jewish faith that we don't emphasize as much as they did, uh, and maybe in some circumstances that they do, and that is this particular insight from Jewish tradition. Uh, they emphasize and celebrate the fact that fatherhood is not just biological. Of course, all of us have fathers. Uh, all of us had a father. If there was some type of a sorting, a bureaucratic sorting going on, and there's actually circumstances where this would happen, where they are trying to place the needs of a child, uh, they don't say that the father, there was no father. What they say is the father unknown. And so on the bureaucratic form, system, whatever, that is being in some way uh, prepared that they might help a person, uh, no one says no father, no more than they would say no mother, uh, simply because if you are here, you had a father. This is not a lessons on the birds and the bees, but if necessary, maybe we can talk about that later, okay? Uh, if you're here, you had a father, and can all the fathers say amen? However, if you had tragedy and you lost your father, or if you had a tragedy of um, social pain and relationship tragedy uh, and the separating of, separating of families, it might have been that you had an unknown father. You may have uh, grown up where you did not know your father. I am always careful when I talk about this because the reality is, is that in our society and in all societies, uh, there is a subset of the population that grows up in a single parent household. Uh, this does not mean you cannot have everything that you need to develop into the person that God wants you to be and God can use. And I say to all of our single mothers, and uh, perhaps not so common, common, but still a thing, single fathers, I, I speak God's blessings over you today. And I want to say to you this, one of the great advantages a, of a church family is a living celebration of the same tradition I talk about that's in the Jewish faith, that the role that is an investment in a young life of either a mother, a role of a father, can in many ways be made up for by the presence of God, can I have an amen, and the care of God's people. And so if you grew up in a situation where because of tragedy of any sort, uh, you did not know a parent, uh, you knew maybe one or not the other, or you may have grown up uh, having been orphaned at a very young age. I do not want you to feel 
as though you're stuck with the tragedy of it and there is no way forward. First of all, God is a healer for all tragedies, all brokenness, and God never intended for you to do life or ministry alone. He never intended for you to try to live, to make it, to prosper, to flourish alone. God placed you in a community of many fathers and many mothers. So let me say it like this. How many of you have had spiritual fathers in your life? Raise your hands all over. Let me ask you this. How many of you have had spiritual mothers in your life? It is a testimony of how God takes broken people and makes them whole. In the Jewish tradition, this emphasized that teachers are not just biological, and they celebrate this. The one who raises the child is the father of that child, and they say teachers are like fathers, so much so that their honor takes precedence, especially in those situations where the father is only a biological relationship, and it is the teacher who provides what a father should provide, guidance, values, discipline, direction, and love. In the Jewish faith, it is an honorable thing to acknowledge just not just the biological father in your life, but everyone who taught you, everyone who invested in you, everyone who helped you grow strong, everyone who made you the person you were able to become. We celebrate today our fathers, natural and spiritual, and can some church folks say amen? Amen. Now, I want to tell you a story that is a teaching story given to us by Jesus Christ himself that is usually a backslider story. It is a story that normally is a reminder, an instruction that we apply to the backslider, and that is the story of the prodigal son. The story is told in Luke chapter number 15, which is the story of, of lost things. And one of those lost things is a son that is lost. There's also other lost things in the story. And had we the time, we'll do this another time, but had we the time, we could learn from the different categories and instructions and principles of lost and found that are shown in the different stories. But for time's sake, we're going to focus upon the son who was lost. Jesus told this story, verse 11, Luke 15. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. The father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. He, uh, I want you to see something here. He did not simply give the wealth to the one who was leaving. He divided his wealth between them. Both of them were blessed. Both of them were rich. Both of them had everything they needed and more. Somebody say, he's good all the time. He went ahead and gave. Now, he gave to the son who left, and he gave to the son who 
stayed. And uh, there is an error in the heart of the son who leaves. It's natural uh, for sons, and not just sons, but daughters, children, as they grow in their life, they, they consider the range of possible lives that is before them. And this is more true today than ever because our kids can be exposed to any life. Our kids can be exposed through uh, social media, through uh, things like YouTube, through all of the connections that we have in digital society. Uh, you don't have to wonder what life is like as, say, a truck driver. Go on YouTube. There's a guy making videos of driving trucks down the road. And if that's your thing, you can find out pretty much everything you want to know. Uh, you don't have to wonder what it's like to um, be in some professional field. I promise you, there's books being written. There's videos being made. There's college courses being organized. More than ever, you are given a smorgasbord of possibilities that exist in your life. And if we're not careful, young people, those of you who will lend me your attention for a few moments, you can find yourself a little dismissive of the life your mom and dad chose. And let me remind you, they may not have chose all of it. Life comes at you hard and life comes at you fast. And not only uh, that, but a lot of times the plans you laid get downgraded because, well, you have kids who will grow up and not like your life choices. <laughs> can I get a witness from all my, uh, my parents here today? Sometimes mom needs to show up and just say, darling, if it wasn't for you, my shoes would be fancier than the ones I have on. But because of you, darling, you're in those fancy shoes. You see what I'm saying? Uh, there is this natural sense where we evaluate our parents' choices. And if we're not careful, we can kind of have a steering perspective of our parents' choices. And I, I want to say to all our young people, uh, uh, first of all this, you're going to get um, every chance, everything you, uh, you're going to get to choose a lot. Um, and you're going to get to decide, but I want to, if possible, I want to challenge you with this reality. Um, just because your mom and dad seem a tad bit boring now doesn't mean there wasn't a day when they didn't paint the town red. I knew some of your mom and dad when they didn't have children, uh, and they were much cooler than they are since you've come around. <laughs> Just speaking the truth in love. No. Our kids are the best things in our life, and whether or not you were wealthy, when you had kids, you became wealthy. It may not have been counted in money, and I assure you it was not. But in life, in goodness, in blessing, and meaning, our kids make us rich. And can I have an agreement in the house? The father wishes his son could see the value in the life he's chose, but his son is enamored by a life he hasn't yet lived. And so he's like, give me my money. I can live. Uh, let me do my thing. And what does he do? He does his thing. And uh, he goes off and um, he begins this life of a type of escape living. What do I mean by escape living? Escape living is basically this. Some version, whatever it is for you, whatever it means for you, I want to have all the fun I can right now and who cares about tomorrow. That's some version of escape living. Uh, it will oftentimes 
lead to other forms of escape, uh, which is drugs and alcohol, which is a type of escape living. Uh, So let me say it like this. Party culture is stage one of living escape life. After party culture comes drug culture. After drug culture comes hitting the bottom of the barrel. And then you literally have found out that your version of freedom was prison with a fancy paint job. And so uh, this is a a challenge for all of us uh, to see uh, there's more going on here than the fact that mom and dad are in bed at 9 o'clock. There's more than that going on here. And the son, he's disappointed by his, his, his dad's life choices. He's like, this is boring. I don't have anything going on here. Let me kind of go that way. And so he does. He takes his money. And uh, here's the thing. His father does not use force to stop him. <laughs> this is an important lesson when you want to learn about lost sons. Because a son is a unique teaching spiritual relationship. To be a child of God means God is not going to force you to make time for him. He's not going to force you to create some quiet time in your day to open the word of God and reflect upon the goodness of God. He's not going to force you. Now, I know your parents forced you, but a day came when they didn't. A day came when you were able to choose. And if you wanted to make a mess, behold, you stood before your life and said, let there be messes. And uh, there was messes. And we all said that it was not good. God God does not stop him. God blesses, gives, imparts, invests, but God doesn't stop him. Every one of you are blessed today. What are you going to do with the blessing God has given you? Every one of you have gifts and insights and abilities and talents. If nothing else, you have air in your lungs and the, the synapses in your brains are firing. You are rich in life. There are wealthy, 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 sick people who would give all their money to have your health. What are you doing with your health? How are you spending God's blessing upon you. And so the young man, he's like, hey, I'm going to party like a rock star because that's how I rolled. 1999, we're going all in. And he discovers that he has a lot of friends of association. Uh, I, I wish all of you could understand the difference in a friend of association, a real friend, and family. Uh, friend of association, uh, do you like gardening? I like gardening. We can garden together, and now we are friends. Okay, that is a friend of association. You go to the gym. Uh, you have other people you meet at the gym. Those friends may become real friends, but really you're bound together by sharing a common interest. You like to party? I like to party. Oh, we're real friends. No, you're not. You both just like to party. And what you find out is as soon as there's trouble, they're not, they don't have a desire for trouble. They have a desire to party. And you no longer cause party, so now you're trouble. What happens to your friends? Okay, real friends, a real friend is different. A real friend has an investment in you. You may like or not like everything, but a real friend has an investment in you. Now, what's family? Family may like everything that's the opposite of what you like, but they'll still show up with a kidney and a checkbook. Unless they determine that their helping of you is making you a worse you. 
And the moment the family realized that helping you is making you a worse you, it's empowering you in a self-destructive path, then we discover what tough love feels like. And that's not something we made up. It's in the Bible. So let's move along. This young man, he goes. He's going to have a party. He has friends of association, uh, not real friends. And so when his capacity uh, to throw a party ends, all his friendships end, they were not really friendships. They were co-journeyers. They just kind of traveled together to wherever they could get the supply or the party or the bright lights or whatever. Now, he has hit bottom. His friends were never friends. He hits the bottom. And this prodigal son has one gift that the brother we'll read about in a few moments does not have. And that is this. The prodigal son is introduced to who he really is, not who he thinks he is. You see, he has to realize that he cannot produce wealth. That was his dad. He doesn't know how to make money. That was his dad. He knows how to spend money. His dad knew how to build wealth. He knows how to destroy wealth. Lessons learned in pigsties. And what does he say? He says, okay, huh. I would do better being an an employee for my father than I am trying to live in my ability to create wealth and make my way. And so this is a come to Jesus moment, if you'll allow me to say it like that, in this uh, young man's life. And he decides, for better or worse, for sonship or servanthood, I'm going home, I'm going home, I'm going home, I'm going home. Prodigals need to wake up because the most dangerous lie they have is a lie they tell themselves. They believe there's something they're not. They believe they can do something they can't do. They believe they are their own source of meaning. And they have to have a come to Jesus (laughs) because they have to go back home and say, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just let me hang out. (laughs) Let me help around because everything I need and cannot produce, you produce without seeming to try. Now, uh, so you know the story. He comes back. He thinks he's coming back as a servant, and uh, his father has been watching for him. His father uh, misses him, and his father's watching the road for him. His father does not rescue him. His father receives him. The church cannot follow you around and be your parent. The church has to be here when you're ready to open your heart. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't rescue people against their will, but we welcome them on their way back home. We celebrate as they approach. And if anybody here today is approaching in any way in your heart, if you're considering turning your life back toward uh, not just faith in God, you may have never lost that, but you're turning your heart back toward a lifestyle where you are a, 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 a child of God and you are a manifestation of the heart of God, I want to say uh, it makes me happy all the way down to my toes to see some one say, I'm going back to the Father's house. It puts joy all through me when I see someone says, look, I tried it my way. I did what I wanted to do. 
I, I did it. I spent it. I tried it. And you know what? I'm going back to the Father's house. I say uh, the Father has been looking for you. I say the Father is watching from the highest point of the estate. And when you start walking back, he doesn't meet you with a nose in the air or a chip on his shoulder, but he runs to meet you as you come back. Good, good father. Good, good father. Uh, I want to say uh, now quickly uh, the other side of the story, which we don't preach near as much. We tell the story of the prodigal son primarily as a teaching example for backsliders. And yes, yes, and again I say yes, it is a teaching example for backsliders. But the story does not end with the story of the prodigal. The story uh, then shifts gears to the, the good son, how shall we say. The one who never left. The one who did his duty. Let's call him the uh, elder brother. And uh, here you have a prodigal, and he says, verse uh, 21, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Not the second finest robe in the house. Somebody says, but that boy can't afford that robe exactly does that teach you anything about grace (laughs) that boy can't afford a robe like that he is so broke he can't even get steady employment feeding pigs I know it but can you learn anything about grace with the father saying bring this young man the finest robe not the first the second finest or the third finest not a servant robe bring him the best There's only one way you can act like that, as if you have no problem buying the best. Uh, let, let, me, let me move on. I keep getting sidetracked. Put a ring on his finger. That signifies sonship. And take care of his needs. Put sandals on his feet. And we've been, we've been planning a party for a while. We've had a calf. We've been fattening up. And now we're going to celebrate. This son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. Let's throw a party. You see, the son left the house because his father didn't know how to party. <laughs> And he went to a faraway land to teach them all how to party. And the difference between the parties he threw and the parties his father threw is he thought the party was the point and his father said, we just need a good reason to throw a party. Let me tell you the difference. You see a life without meaning and a life with meaning. Let me say that again. A escapism lifestyle where you're just partying to escape your reality, to escape your disappointments, to escape your pain and suffering. Escapism is party without a point. Let me tell you, God throws the best parties. It's just his parties mean something. His parties say something. It's not an escape. It is the point of the party. A day is coming. The trump is going to sound, and all God's people are going to be caught home to celebrate with him, and it's going to be a party like you've never seen, and it's going to go on and go on and go on and go on. 
Oh, having fun now. Having fun. I got my sister shouting over here. She's about to have her a party over here. Some of you guys are just thinking, hmm, let me think about this party. The best kind of party would be uh, all the best food with no calories. That's what God has planned for you. Ain't no party like that kind of party. You see what I'm saying? Uh, that kind of party, all the best food, no calories. Yes, Lord. Come quickly, I pray. The best kind of feeling, but no downside later because your brain's depleted and you have to suffer the up with some equal opportunity suicidal impulse on the other end. Don't tell me God doesn't know how to have a party. It's just his party means something. He's not hiding. He's not lying to himself. He's not escaping. The father knows how to party. He just wants it to mean something. My son was dead. Now he's alive. I think it's time to party. And in this party, they get good food. Praise God. Hallelujah. They get good music. Praise God. Hallelujah. I better stop because some of y'all are getting nervous. And so the elder brother is in the field and he's working because he's the good son. Somebody say the good son. Elbow your neighbor and say, I'm the good one. That's right. Tell my brother I'm the good one. <laughs> May not be true, but I don't even care. That's how I'm, I'm working with what I got. The Bible says speak things that are not as though they are, so I'm the good one. It's a fine line between lying, isn't it? <laughs> but Dad, I was speaking things that are not as though they are. Yeah, you didn't do your homework. <laughs> um, and the elder brother hears the music, and uh, he... He, he goes to find out. He, he, he's out in the field working, and he returns home. He hears the music, and they're dancing. Hallelujah. And he asks one of the servants, what's going on? And this is the story. Your brother is back, and your, your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and said, I'm not going to the party. He protested, had a great big sulk, went and pouted and, uh, you know, just that kind of a thing. We all know this kind of behavior. He's passive aggressive. I'm not going to go. My brother is a no good son. My, my brother was a bad investment. He left full and he came back empty. Let me show you the spirit of an the older brother, the spirit of the older brother is he is, number one, in competition with his brother. He does not perceive the kingdom of God as a house of abundance. He perceives it like the world as a scarcity-based house, and I have to fight over what there is because there are limits on what I have. Secondly, I cannot accept anybody I do not approve of. All churches struggle with this. It is the tension between can we accept people we do not approve of. This is why the Pharisees uh, despised Jesus because he ate with sinners. He accepted people he did not approve of. This is one of the great historical debates just in the time of Jesus and just before the time of Jesus. Two schools, Hillel and uh, uh, 
uh, uh, I'm having a mental block, Hill School of Hillel, and who's the other one? Shammai. And uh, they literally had a vote, um, and this is called one of the darkest days in Jewish history, and the, this was what was at stake. Can you have any fellowship with sinners and Gentiles? Uh, can you even have them over your house? And the conservatives, the uh, Shammai, said uh, no, none. And the school of Hillel said, yes, you're not in covenant with them. You're just not rejecting them. And so uh, they had this meeting at the house of the temple guard. And so what they did is they had too many from the school of Hillel. And so they lost the vote. And this is, again, one of the darkest days in Jewish history. But it shows you the spirit of the other bro- elder brother. And so the students of the... Uh, school of Shammai uh, were the conservatives, and they also had uh, the zealots as their own military. They had their own in-house rebellion that was associated with them, and using their soldiers and the temple guard, when they took the followers of the school of Hillel outside, they had counted how many they needed to kill, and in the shadows of the palace guard, they killed the right number of the uh, disciples of Hillel, they recalled the vote and they left the ground strewn with corpses and they won the vote. This is right before the birth of Christ. They won the vote on whether or not you could have any association with an unbeliever, a Gentile. You could not have them at your table because to have them at your table is to signify unity. This is also why Paul rebuked Peter because he would not sit at the table with Gentiles. In Jewish tradition, uh, that just happened once and then Peter himself corrected himself. You need to study your New Testament. Testament history that shows an awesome spirit of someone who doesn't think they're too good to be corrected. And so here you have this whole, the spirit of the elder brother is to look at the other brethren and decide decide who's an embarrassment, who should be there, and who was a bad investment. And he cannot celebrate that his brother is alive because his brother is a bad investment. There are churches that unfortunately get too heavy, a grouping of people who think other people are not a good enough investment. And when that happens, you get this imbalance in a church that goes like this. If we approve of you, we accept you. If we approve of you, we accept you. If we approve of you, then we accept you. And Jesus talked about this directly, and he was like, look, even the heathen do that. (laughs) That's not a big deal. Um, You know, of course you're nice to the people you like. Of course you make room for the people you love. Can you accept people that you do not approve of? So let me say what the I say in the first lesson, the first steps, as the first commitment we make to every person who considers joining this church, our first commitment we make to everybody who goes through first steps is this. We accept you as you are, where you are, whether or not we approve of that place. We say this to you. God did not start on any of us where we were ready for approval. God started on us long before we were ready for approval. And if you're here today and you're not doing so well, you would be the first one to say to yourself, I'm not doing so well. I want you to know this church accepts you whether or not we approve of you. And we say this to you, we're just glad you're here. If dad's throwing a party, I'm 
coming to the party because you don't want to get in the habit of missing parties that the Father throws. Is that good? You like that? Did I do, did I do good? Did I, could I do better anywhere on that or did I do okay? Okay, thank you. I want to say this. Don't get in the habit of missing parties your father's throwing because a great big party is coming and you don't want to be in the habit of sucking your thumb and saying, <laughs> no, stop it already. Yes, you heard me. Stop. And he won't go to the party and uh, he's angry and his father came out. Look, there's a verb used here that I, I think would uh, surprise you. His father came out and begged him, begged him, begged him, begged him. Somebody say beg. Is there anywhere where the father begged the prodigal son? There is something shown here. The father begged him to come into the party, and he replied, all these years, notice the verbs, all these years I've slaved for you. This is the elder's brother talking. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me, and in all that time you never gave me even one goat to feast with my friends. Baby, they're all your goats. What do you, what do you mean by this give? I think they missed that. We'll talk about that later. I'm picking on you today. I'm sorry. What do you mean give? They're all your goats. Um, and uh, you haven't done any of this for me. I've slaved for you. You didn't give me one stinking little goat. So when this son of yours comes back after squandering, can you feel the contempt? Squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. You've always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. I want to point out something here. What happened at the beginning of the story? Oh, if you could get this, I could convince you to think differently about God's blessing, okay? What happens at the beginning of the story? God split his, or the father split his wealth between both sons. But there's no shortage. And the father just can't help but producing wealth. He just can't help but... It's like the money chases him down and jumps in his pockets. He's giving it away. And he still has something worth getting. Stop with the scarcity mindset in the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of God. Just because God blesses one person doesn't mean he can't bless another. Just because God healed my sister doesn't mean he can't heal my brother. Stop with the comparing yourself one to another. My God has the cattle on a thousand hills and he has the hills. I want you to see this reality. A kingdom of abundance goes like this. I give it all away and I still have it all. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. This is the kingdom of God. I bless you and I still can bless you. Stop fighting over it. It's all yours. Okay, so um, let me try to make, uh, get, get to a point here. I, I want to say this. The essential problem here in this story, 
uh, is, of course, the prodigal. That's a problem. He comes back. There's another problem. The elder brother cannot stop with the culture that says, if I approve you, approve of you, then I accept you. He can't stop with that. And he's the one pointing out, look, dad, your son, other son was a really bad investment. Look at me. I'm a, I'm a good investment. And uh, that's the two characters you think. But there's the third character who is, I believe, really who the story is about. And this is the father, both the prodigal son, watch this, and the son who stays home, both the good son and the bad son, both the prodigal son and the elder brother. They share something in common, and that is this. Neither of them know their father's heart. One of them left and one of them stayed. Neither of them know their father's heart. One of the reasons why I want prodigals to come home is I want to confess to you prodigals. I want to say this. I can be in the same exact situation you are in. Yes, I had a prince for a dad and a queen for a mother. (laughs) Yes, I had blessings of a Christian home. Yes, I had all this. Yes, I grew up in church. But let me tell you this confessional moment. Even though I'm here, I can miss the heart of God just like the person who left. I can be in the house and not know the heart of God. I can clap my hands on beat and not know the heart of God. I can go through religious motions and not know the heart of God. I can have this label applied to me. I can have the prodigals look at me and say, oh, he probably thinks he's better to me. That's how a lot of prodigals feel. You think other people are looking down their nose at you. But let me put us on the same ground here and let me take out the good and the bad for a moment and let's say this. Let's look at each other across the church house and let's say let's be honest about this if we're not careful we can be out of the house and not know him or we can be in the house and not know him one son thinks my father would never take me back because my worth is based on what I've done with what he's given me I have nothing beyond whether or not I'm a good investment so let me go back as an employee and what does the father do he greets him out as a son this surprises the prodigal he did not see that coming he never understood the heart of his father and here is the elder brother sulking outside the party and what does he say He's saying this, all these years I slaved for you. Is that what it felt like? Is that what growing up in church felt like? Did it feel like you're having to slave for God? That's a red flashing light on the dashboard of your life saying you don't know God. Yeah, you know how to clap, you know how to sing, but you don't know God. You haven't created the space in your soul to know God. Because if it feels like slavery, you have missed it hook, line, and sinker. You have missed it in its entirety. It's not about slavery. Everything I have is yours. It's not duty. It is sonship. It's not obligation. It is all yours. You have the so-called bad son and the so-called good son, and neither of them know the heart of their father. And let me say this to you as our musicians come. God wants you to know him. He wants to be known. He 
came to earth and he lived a life of covering for us that we might enter into the Shekinah of his presence, that we might know him, that we might be a partaker of the divine nature. It is the overarching goal from creation until we are in his presence. And the Bible says then we will be face to face. We will be as one unified in knowledge what God wants from his children is intimacy to be known. I want to show this real quickly to you in the Bible. On one hand, we can say God is infinite and I cannot comprehend. And although that is true, this infinite one has done something that we might perceive. It is as though God has placed us in the cleft of the rock and let his glory pass in front of us. And we are changed by that. It is the will of God that we are understanding in some way of that which God has revealed. Uh, Let me read this uh, in the scripture. God has willed that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and sent forth the message, behold your God. All this is Isaiah 5, Isaiah 9. We read in Isaiah 43 and 10, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen. Why, why? And again, I ask why? That ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall thou be after me. What is your why? He says that you may know and believe me. You see... Oh man, I, I feel I feel the. I, it's as though the Lord would stir us and say, uh, do, "Do you know me, or is this just a type of religious habit that you're going through? Is this a type of uh, fire insurance slash slavery system whereby you've got to do this and you've got to do this, or you're not going to be right with God? Is that what this is, or are you pursuing me? Are you living as though we can spend time together, we can walk together? I am yours and you are mine. Are you pursuing a relationship, intimacy, or are you just living out the duty of a servant? On one hand, you have a son who thinks because he was a bad investment, he really only deserves to be a servant. And on the other hand, you have a son who thinks he must live as a slave in order to perceive his father his father's affection on one extreme I'm not good enough God wouldn't love a person like me on the other extreme I have to do it I'm a slave neither of them know the heart of their father and they live with a father yes but they've never known him they haven't walked with him they haven't pursued him There is a natural uh, tendency in our life to, in some way, create patterns of behavior which are helpful. 
uh, we create spiritual things that are helpful. We go to services that are helpful. Uh, we, in some way, uh, get a style of form. We sing a certain way. We go to church on a certain day. We dress up or don't dress up. We sing this or clap or don't clap. We get this system, but we can never, never, never mistake the system for a relationship with the Father. We have to pursue his heart. And this is the reality of this moment. Neither son, neither son really knows their father. You can go, you can stay. There's a risk that you are not striving to know God. You can live a life of excess and impulse, or you can live a life of duty and obligation. There's a risk that you really aren't striving to know God. But if you want to really celebrate the reason why the Holy Spirit was given, and if you want to really celebrate the reason why Calvary became a stake driven into the timeline of the human story, after which grace, mercy, and peace came to us through Jesus Christ. If you want to really understand why we take the Lord's table and eat the bread as though it were symbolic of his sacrifice and drink the wine as though it were symbolic of his covering, if you want to know really why, it's not enough to have the systems that are helps to you. You need to pursue the, the, the heart of God. You need to create time in your life where you say, I want to sit down in the presence of God and I want to say, Lord Jesus, make me to know your heart. Make me to see with your eyes. I don't want to help other people because there's this duty involved. I want to help them because when I see them, I love them like you love them. And I see their potential as you would see their potential. And I don't see them as religious competition. I see them as people for whom you bled and died. Oh God, we want to pursue you in our heart and in our life. Church, if we don't do that, we won't be saved because we're in the house and we won't be lost because we're out of the house. Those are just co-events. The real problem is we never sought to know him. And so I'm challenging every one of you here today. I'm asking you to make a commitment this year. I'm asking you to make a commitment over this summer. God, I am not just having this accidental hit and run relationship with you. I am calling upon you. I'm making time for you. I'm seeking you. I want to know you. Stand with me all across this house. If this resonates with you, if you feel this in your heart here today, I want you to lift your hands wherever you're standing, and I want you to say, oh God, help me to know you. In your own words, your own style, would you reach out your heart to God right now? Lord, I want to know you. I want to I walk with you, Lord Jesus, just as you were able to spend time with Adam and Eve in the evenings and you would fellowship with them. Lord, I'm looking for that kind of relationship. I want to be a good investment, yes, Lord. I want to be a good steward, yes, Lord. But I don't want to be a good steward at the expense of knowing you because it's not about the money. It's not about the accomplishment. It's not about the title. 
all those things come and go. But what it's about is me having a sense of the beauty of the Lord. Me having a sense of the presence of the Lord in my life. Me having a sense of just how much you loved me. Just how much you made a way for me. Just how much you adopted me when I had no one else. And you brought me into family and you called me your child. God, I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want a life of worship. I want intimacy with you, oh God. I don't want to pretend formula. I don't want to have a form of religiosity. I don't want to just have systems of helps and symbols. God, I want to know you. If that means I need to go through suffering, then let me go through suffering. If that means I need to abound, then let me abound. If that need means I need to do without, then oh God, let me do without. If that means blessing, then let blessing come. If that means storm, then let storm come. But oh God, don't let it be said at the end of my years that I did not know you. I did not pursue you. I'm hungry for you. My God. Would you step out of the chair you're in right now, all of you who will? Would you step out of the chair and you just step into the aisle, step down to the front, lift your voice, lift your hands right now and say, this is me, oh God, saying I'm hungry to know you better than I ever have. I'm hungry to spend time with you, Lord. Save me from distraction in my life. Save me from the things that turn me left and right, but allow me to miss the still small voice that exists in your presence. I'm hungry hungry today to know you. Church, right now, we're going to linger in the presence of the Lord. If you have a need, there's faith in this house. You can receive the touch of God in this place here today. Uh, if you are facing circumstances of fear and dilemma, I, I, I'd like to pray for you, but I need you to step out so I'll know who you are. I want to speak the name of Jesus over you. Our worship team is going to lead us deeper into worship. I invite you all to linger in the presence of the Lord. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.